On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we're going to be talking once again about the 101 Mistakes to Avoid in Coaching by Thomas Leonard. Today, we're going to be going 9 through 20. So let's go. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hey, welcome back to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. I'm Doug O'Brien. I got so many nice responses to my... Uh, little podcast a week or so ago about uh, the mistakes to avoid in coaching that I thought I would talk about some more mistakes to avoid in coaching. I've got 101 of them from Thomas Leonard. We only covered eight last time. So I figured, what the heck, let's do a few more. Maybe we'll even get through all 101. Probably not today, but I mean, you know, eventually throughout all the different podcasts coming up. But today I thought we'd plunge right ahead from number eight. We'd go right uh, to number nine. Go as far as number nine, at least start there. Um, so these are, once again, from Thomas Leonard, the father of coaching, as far as I'm concerned, and um, his 101 coaching mistakes to avoid or mistakes to avoid in coaching. Went, went through eight uh, in the previous episodes. So if you haven't found those, listened to those yet, you can um, go back up. They don't, they don't need to be in order. So you can go back after you listen to this one or whatever you want to do. Number nine is taking responsibility for the client. That's a mistake. Don't take responsibility for the client. What Thomas says about that is he says he takes full responsibility for the quality of his coaching, but never for the client's success. This is up to them. So I take this one to heart. I really like this one. And just by the way, as we go through these different ones, there's some that I totally agree with and some that I maybe not quite so much. You're okay to do that too. It's perfectly fine to disagree with some of these things, And but uh, but open, be open to them. Be open to them. Be considered to, to, to be questioning whether or not it's right for you. Try them on for size and see if they're right for you. I think most of them are great. And uh, there's just a few that I think maybe not so much. Interestingly, however, it's also true that when you go through all 101 of these things, you're going to find that some of them are actually somewhat contradictory to each other, which is interesting because they're both true. They can both be true and still contradictory to each other. Like, so instance, don't try too hard. In other words, uh, and then on the other hand, uh, don't be too soft. <laughs> you know, they can be both true. But let's get back to taking responsibility for the client. Don't do that, but take full responsibility for your part in it. In other words, their success is up to them. You are a coach. You're not taking them there. It's nice to have a kind of, um, you know, compatible feeling like you want it a lot for them. You know, you can be really encouraging, but it's not up to you. It's up to them. You have to help to elicit what they need from them for them to do what they want to do. If you can help them get a very, very clear goal, and if you can help them find the resources they need to get to that goal, 
if you can help them to remove obstacles that are stopping them from getting to that goal, then they'll very likely get there. That's your job. But actually, whether or not they get to there is up to them. Interestingly, I have had some clients who change their goals. This happens quite often, actually. Sometimes they don't have a very well-stated goal to start with. But it is interesting how as, as the coaching unfolds, sometimes things become clearer to the person and uh, they realize what they actually come to you for might be somewhat different than where they actually decide that they want to get from here on. So Thomas Leonard goes on to say, some clients want or need you to lead their lives or solve their problems for them. He says to protect yourself. Boy, is that true. That is definitely true that sometimes people think if they hire you to be the coach, then that's all they need to do, you know, spend that couple thousand dollars and life is done. You know, <laughs> just would you tell me when the success was expected to arrive, please? Is there a tracking number I can get? You know, it's, it's a process. You know, I, I think perhaps for me, because I was a classically trained pianist and, you know, it takes a while to learn some pieces that working towards a goal, it was something that I always did. You know, I was a marathon runner as well. You don't do those overnight. You don't get in shape to run a marathon in a week or two or a month or two. It takes a while. So that sort of thing is, is, is part of who I am. People need to know that, that you know, success is a, is a road that they're going to be traveling. It's not something they can put themselves in a peak state and, you know, instantly create. So on the other hand, don't step back too far. Thomas goes on to say, he says, lend a big hand, arrange for extra support for the client facing a big challenge or problem. Do go out of your way to assist, but do it from a place of choice, not obligation or responsibility. That's the end of number nine from Thomas Leonard. Let's go on to number 10. Number 10 mistake is being linear, being linear. By that, he means that some coaches see life growth and success as a logical progression from A to B to C to D, etc. Most people know it isn't, but some coaches think that it is. So they've got a system. They've got a system. You know, if you're linear, if you try to impose your order on the clients or think clients have to go through certain steps in order to reach their goals. This approach isn't very effective in a world that is becoming increasingly chaotic. Thomas says tip to loosen up, Learn about attraction, synchronicity, synergy, and serendipity. Coaching mistake number 11, coaching at the client. Some coaches talk at people in general, including clients, instead of dancing easily in a natural give and take, a two-way conversation. Some coaches don't even know that. They don't even know it until someone points it out. Periodically, you can even ask your clients if you're talking at them if you're able to be with them and speak with them. Having a mentor coach, by the way, is also a really good idea. Um, I think most coaches should have a coach. I know I do. It's a good idea if you are a coach to have a coach. And by, by the way, why wouldn't you? If you believe that coaching works, you know, shouldn't you be doing it too? It's just a thought. So, yeah, it's a conversation. Coaching is a conversation. We want to discuss things. We want to explore things. We want to uh, 
you know, find a strategy for getting to where we want to go. It's always a conversation. They have much more wisdom inside themselves than they know. Our job is to help to bring it out of them, to elicit it from them, not say, here's what you're going to do. Coaching mistake number 12, giving lame advice. <laughs> Again, some of these things from Thomas Leonard, kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So I'll just leave it at that. So some advice, he says, some advice is so outdated, bland, and or ineffective that it should be embarrassing to the coach. The solution is to work with a coach who is hip, progressive, and wise enough to learn from similarly minded colleagues and to read current magazines and books so that you are current. Otherwise, you're in the recycling business. Those are all Thomas Leonard's words. And um, yeah, there's there's good advice in there, isn't there? I certainly have heard, you know, people spout platitudes a lot, you know, being, you know, in perhaps the second half of my, my life here, having been in the coaching business for quite some time, you know, I I do see people uh, periodically who have gone to, you know, seminar, Tony Robbins type thing. And, and so they get caught up in these, these platitudes that they hear. And so I hear them giving advice to other people, and they're basically spouting what they heard at the seminar, which might be very good advice. And don't do that. It's lame. It's lame to just spout advice, things that you've heard from other things. You want to be listening. If you're, if you're being a coach, I mean, if you're just talking to your friend, that's fine. But if you're being a coach, if you're getting paid for this, you need to be a little bit better than just spouting platitudes. You know, delve into what is the goal, what is the pathway to the goal, what's what's the resources that they have to get there, how can they, what's stopping them from doing that, how do you find strategies to work around that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what your job is. Coaching mistake number thirteen: being a mouse. I'm going to read what Thomas Leonard wrote here. Um, goes like this. Eek, eek. That's what he wrote, exclamation points. He said, it's one thing to be gentle and patient. It's quite another to be a wimp or a mouse. Sometimes it's a personality style or limitation. Other times the coach lacks confidence or hasn't been trained properly. The trick is to have access to the full spectrum of communication styles, from quiet to loud, from patient to challenging, from responsive to intimidating. Most clients want a coach who isn't afraid. And that's true. That's really true. To be a coach, you want to be assertive when that's called for. We said this in the last one. We said, you know, I talked about my coach, Harry Murphy, who is different for everybody. But he also was not afraid of being like, hey, get get to work here. You know, he wasn't afraid to be that if necessary for the person. You know, you need to be strong for people sometimes, to be demanding. You want to sometimes demand more than what they know that they're capable of. And we'll get to that in just a moment as well. But yeah, being a mouse is a coaching mistake. I think we can all agree on that. Can't you? I mean, I hope you, hope you agree with me. I really hope you agree with me. Just kidding. Okay, mistake number four, waiting to say what you're thinking. Now, this is one of the ones I'm going like, yeah, Thomas, hold on now. I appreciate what you're saying. Let me just read what he says first, and then I'll give my two cents. 
I'll wait until the right time to say what I'm thinking. But Thomas said, waiting to say what you're thinking is a mistake. He says, most coaches are hesitant to share their inklings slash thoughts until they are more sure of what they think or feel. So they wait for evidence or the right language to phrase and share. Coaches are also hesitant to offend the clients. They hold back some of the negative reactions they are having. Clients deserve to hear what you're thinking the moment something occurs to you. Share it professionally, but don't withhold it. Now, yes, and. I I will just say this. I, I am always, when I'm coaching, when I'm doing, let's say, therapy with people, use that word, um, when I'm in that sort of role, I I always have a filter. I always have a filter about how I'm going to be saying what I'm saying. There's a filter running right now as I speak to you about how I'm going to be saying what I'm saying. It's It's a fast filter. It's a quick filter, but it's there. It's there. And I think it's really kind of important to have it be there, especially I think these days there are, you know, things that are, we're becoming more aware of things that should be said properly these days. You know, people's pronouns, as an example, you you want to be sensitive to that, not being a wimp, not being a mouse, being sensitive to the people that you're talking to. So I do kind of wait. It's kind of like a, you know, a four second delay or, you know, there's that, that little um, live butt button, you know, that could, you could wait till you don't have to bleep it or something. So yes. And wait to say what you're thinking. Not too long. Let it be out there. Let it, don't be, don't be wimpy, but, you know, be sensitive to how you're saying things because also language is important and how you say things is very important. What you're saying is very important. You know, words are powerful. Words are powerful. So I agree with Thomas, and I would put a proviso in there that says, yes, it's also good to to be cognizant of the effects of the words that you're having, and you can say it better. If you can say it better, then you must say it better. Coaching mistake number 15, expecting too little from clients. He says, Thomas, he writes, you won't know how much the client can actually do until you ask them three times to do something far bigger than they brought to you. In other words, double or triple the goal and see what type of response you get. Ask again. In some cases, don't take no for an answer if you believe the client is up to it, but afraid. Remember, these are clients, not friends or kids. You are being paid to expect a lot from them. Let me tell you a story. This is a personal story. I don't think I've shared it yet here on the Central Coaching Skills Podcast. I've told this story a few times. It's been a very important story for me in my lifetime. So I'll tell it to you now. I had a a, a piano teacher once in my years as a piano player in college who was also a composer. And he was asked um, by some organization if he could have a, if he had a piece that he wanted to, you know, have performed at a, concert at Carnegie Hall in 1980. He was going to um, be having this piece played. And so he decided this new set of piano etudes would be just the ticket. And he asked me if I'd be willing to play them for him. We made a deal. He said that um, 
since he is mostly a composition teacher, composition professor, not really a piano teacher, but a brilliant concert pianist. He said he would give me free lessons, free lessons. Free is good, especially when they're at that level. Free lessons for a year, the amount of time before the concert, if I undertook this this challenge. Now, an etude, if you know anything about um, you know classical music, is a French word for exercise. And piano etudes tend to be quite challenging. They're often, you know, Paganini etudes, as, as an example, are, are notoriously challenging. The list etudes, very, very hard. Um, these were hard. These were challenging. But he said, you know, he would give me lessons and I would learn how to do them. So I said, yes, I will not pass up this opportunity. Plus, I'll be performing Carnegie Hall, not too shabby. So um, I go to the first lesson. And he shows me these, this score, still the ink still fresh on the page. Um, and we go through it, you know, note by note, phrase by phrase, piece by piece. There are nine of these piano etudes within the set. And so, okay, I got it. Great. I'll, I'll go work on this. And so I, I, I did. I went off and I worked at it, but I also had life, you know, I had a, a girlfriend and I had, things and I had stuff to do and classes and whatnot. So I worked on it, but not that much. And I came back the following week to my second lesson. And I, I, I proceeded to play what I had learned so far. And after about five minutes of sort of slopping through these things, he stopped me and said, it wasn't gentle. <laughs> At all. Yeah, he wasn't gent gentle at all. Now, I'm not saying you should do this in coaching, but this is what he did at this moment in time. He proceeded to yell at me in a way that I had, except for my dad and when he was particularly drunk, um, <laughs> never been yelled at before. And he kept it up. Usually when my dad was this way, it, it was last five minutes or so. But this guy, five minutes into the lesson, just sort of I won't use all the expletives. I don't think I can even remember them. But um, boy, oh my gosh, it was it was intense. It was intense. And it kept up for the rest of the hour-long lesson. The entire lesson, he was just yelling. And just, um, he's a very articulate man. And he had some really good <laughs> phrases. <laughs> it, just, it was impressive. I wish I had a recording. Suffice it to say, um, he got my attention, and and soon thereafter, I went from his office to the closest practice room and started practicing these pieces. I, I spent a few hours on it that day, and a few hours the next day, and a few hours the day after that, and actually several, maybe six hours each day, maybe eight each day. But I, I yeah, it was my primary focus. And and I got back the next week to the third lesson, and I was scared as heck. You know, I thought, oh, my God, is this going to happen again? Well, let's go into the breach one more time. And so I w went in, and he said, okay, let's see what you got. And I sat down, and I, I started playing through these things. Now, I had done a lot of practicing, so it was head and shoulders above the week before. I got through it pretty pretty well. And about five minutes into my playing, he stopped me again, like he had the first week. 
But this time he didn't just burst into yelling. He sat silently for what seemed like forever. He had his hands kind of like in a prayer pose up by his nose. And he was like looking down with his eyes closed, just breathing and breathing deeply and thinking. And I was just totally afraid that he was like just searching through his vocabulary to find even better swear words than he had the week before. But finally, he very quietly opens his eyes and looks at me like laser beams into my eyes. And he says, all right, O'Brien. Now I know what you're capable of. I will accept nothing less. And at that moment, I think my heart stopped for about 45 seconds. Um, I think my bowels evacuated themselves. I'm not really sure I was, I passed out. I'm certain of that. Um, but no, it was the scariest moment of my life. It was singularly, um, was so much worse than the week before. I'd wished he was just yelling at me because, you know, basically I had set the bar like over my head and now he said, okay, good. Every week from now on, that's what I expect. Well, guess what, kids? I did that for the rest of the year. I practiced like that. I, I kept jumping over that pole for the rest of the year. And I played Carnegie Hall, April of 1980, pretty darn well, I will say. It was it was good. And I will also say that it would never have happened if this man who was my piano coach at that time had not expected that from me. He would accept nothing less. So a mistake is to accept too little, expect too little from your clients. You won't know how much they can handle to you asking them to do three times more than they would normally expect to themselves. Right? So that's your job. Coaching mistake number 16. Slipping into a parental role. Most clients don't know quite what role to put their coaches in as a sports coach, a friend, parent. It's our job to teach our clients how to work with us as a collaborative partner in their life. You know you're being parental when one. Your tone slips into a parental to child talk. Number two, you care more about the child's success than they do. Number three, you seek to protect the child from themselves or from life. And number four, you see your client as a child slash helpless. Now, if you're familiar at all with transactional analysis, there, there's also the recognition that, yeah, sometimes in any transaction, any any way of being conversation conversation with anybody, there there's are times when your parent and their child or your um, other, and you know that's just it happens. But it shouldn't happen for long, and it should be something, honestly, that you avoid. You want to both of you be adults, talking as adults, and this is a co-creation that you're doing together. You're not their parent. You're also not their friend. It's good to be friendly with your your clients, but they are your clients. This is also true, by the way, in, in therapy roles. You're You're not their friend. You are there to help them. You are help them to get over their obstacles, over the, over the things that they're stopping themselves from doing things. That's your job, not to be their friend, not to be their parent. You are there to be their coach. Now, 
when I talked a little bit before about how some of these coaching mistakes by Thomas Leonard are kind of uh, contradictory with each other. Coaching mistake number 17, pushing the client too hard. I think that's why you put the parental role thing in between 15 and 16 and 17. Um, yeah, it's kind of the opposite of what he said over back there in mistake number 15. Pushing the client too hard is a mistake. How hard can you, should you push a client and still have coaching be about their life and not yours? You know you're pushing too hard if, one, you feel tired at the end of the coaching calls. Number two, your client is fighting slash resisting your pressure. Number three, you are convinced that your way is smartest. (laughs) Number four, you are frustrated by your client's slow pace. And number five, you get angry, hot, or righteous during the session. Solution, talk to the client about it and or pull back. Let the client lead the coaching for a while. Yeah, it's a a funny one, isn't it? Because it is similar but different and contradictory a little bit to the previous one. You you want to push your clients. You want what's best for them. You want to see that they're going at their optimal rate. But you don't really know what that is. People are different. You have expectations, sure. And they're the ones that have to, to be doing this work. So push... Hard, but not too hard. Expect more from them, but not too much. You know, it's a it's a balancing act that's really kind of tricky. But you do want to have high expectations. They want you to have high expectations for them. They want to be more than what they would be without you. Obviously, that's why they're hiring you. That's why you're paying this money. So, yeah, it's an interesting balance that you've got to strike. Coaching mistake number 18. Needing the client's coaching fee. It's a tough one, especially when you're starting out because you do need your client's coaching fee. And that's really a bummer, (laughs) you know, because if you need their fee, then, you know, you're, you're, you're being hamstrung. I think is the word I was looking for. You're you're being, uh, it's an obstacle for you to be your best. If you're at the edge financially and can't afford to lose a client's fee, you will not be able to coach clients fully because you can't afford to. The trick is to have 50% more billings than you need for all businesses and personal expenses. This provides a healthy reserve that gives you room to coach from your heart, not from your checkbook. Most of those words were Thomas Leonard's, but I fully agree with this one. And it's something, boy. It's a, it's a tough one. Like I said, especially when you're first starting out, those were my words. When you're first starting out, you know, you, you do need the money. You do need the money. So you, you want to get those clients, et cetera. But as he said, if you have 50% more bookings than you need for your business and personal expenses, then you've got freedom. Then you can push as hard as you want. And you know, if the client says, I'm not putting up with this anymore and they walk out, it's like, you can be confident they'll be back. And you can relax because they will. But you can go on to the next client and, you know, not be distracted because you're worried about, oh, gosh, I need the money so much. So as much as possible, make it so that you don't need your client's fee, even when you are starting out. Even when you are starting out. So that's coaching mistake number 18. 
coaching mistake 19. By the way, um, when I first started doing these coaching mistakes, I didn't think about going through all 101 of them. That's why I only did eight the first time because I don't know how good at math you are, but 101 is not divisible by eight. So I was going to be doing sections of it. At least I don't think it is. Uh, I probably should have done like, you know, 10, but I didn't. I did eight. So today I'm going to go up to 20. I'm going to do the first 20 of Thomas Leonard's 101. I know that um, tens don't go into 101 either. I think, I think everyone knows that, but uh, we're going to, we're going to do 20 today. So coaching mistake number 19, blindly accepting the client's goals, blindly accepting the client goals. Very few clients are crystal clear on their goals at first. So take the time to make sure you and the client are clear on the best possible goals instead of the first goals presented. In neurolinguistic programming, by the way, there is a set of filters that you can put through goals to make sure that they are what we call well-formed. There are four well-formedness conditions for a well-formed goal. I'll go through those in a minute if you'd like to hear them. But going back to Thomas Lenders, he says, go for values-based goals when possible. Encourage the client to let go of the pipe dream goals. And if there are too many goals, it's likely that the client's personal needs are not being met or their integrity is weak. And he puts in parentheses, really. So go for values-based goals when possible. What the heck does that mean? Aren't all goals values-based? Hmm. Good question. What are values? Hmm. Another good question. <laughs> values. You know what values are. Values are things like, you know, I, I value love. I value integrity. I value, you know, doing good works. You know, these are all values that I have. I, I have values for, for hard work and honesty and things like that. Those are all good, my nice values. There's lots of other values that you might have higher, but interestingly, while we all can agree on certain values, there is a hierarchy that individuals have. Some things are more important than other things. It's really good to know your client. It's really good to know what their values are. There's a way of doing a values elicitation that finds out specifically what they are and specifically what they are in certain contexts. You might have different values in business than you might have in relationships, as an example. There are lots of overlap, no doubt. Nevertheless, they can be different in business and they are in relationships. So you want to find that out for people. And if they can have goals that are consistent with their values, then it's kind of like all the all the oarsmen are pulling at the same time. You know, you've got congruence that way. It really is valuable. And if you put the client's goals through the well-formedness conditions, it's even better. So what are those? Well, there are four or five, depending on how you count them. Um, I'm going to just start with the Number one, <laughs> and then and we'll we'll figure out how many there are as we go. Number one is that it should be stated in the positive. The goal should be stated in the positive. So, in other words, I want to be happy as opposed to I don't want to be sad. Right? I want to be rich as opposed to I don't want to be poor. I want to be in a relationship as opposed to I don't want to be alone. Right? So there should be positively formed. Now, it's also okay for a person to know what they don't want. That's valuable information. I don't want to be alone. Hmm, good to know. So what do you want? Right? It's good to know what you don't want and then say, what do I want? Because why? Your unconscious mind 
can aim for a target much better if it is clear to them what they're aiming for. Likelihood goes up a lot if you know what it is you're aiming for that you will actually hit that target, right? If you know what your target is, vastly better chances of you're hitting it, right? So you want to have a very clear stated in the positive goal. Number two is that it should be sensory specific. So I don't want to be alone. Well, who do you want to be with? Uh, who specifically do you want to be with? What kind of relationship specifically do you want? Do you want to be married? Do you want to you know, have a partnership? What kind of relationship is it? Be sensory specific. How will you know? How will you, you know, know for sure in all of your senses that you've achieved this outcome when it's there? What will you see? What will you hear? What will you feel? What will you taste? What will you touch? It lets you know that I have arrived at my destination. Well, form in this condition number three, that it should be self-initiated and maintained. In other words, self-initiated. I can do it. I can get started with it. Self-initiated and maintained means I'm going to continue doing it. I can continue going on from here. Right? Self-initiated and maintained. So if I want everyone to love me, eh, I can't guarantee that. I can do things that might engender that, you know, might people go say things like, well, that was really nice of him. What a nice guy he is. I like that guy. You know, they might say that, but they got also say, well, he's just doing that for a fact, or, you know, you can't trust somebody who's being so generous or whatever. You know, you can't make somebody like you. You can't make somebody love you. You can't make anybody do anything actually, but you can set up the possibilities for it. So if a client says, I want to be rich, well, how specifically, how rich do you want to be? How specifically do you going to get there? What is your steps for achieving this? And how can you get started doing this? What are the steps you're going to take to make this happen? What are the things you're going to do? What are the things you're not going to do in order to make this happen? And the well in this condition number four is that it is ecological. Ecology is called the study of consequences. So if you're studying the consequences of what's going to happen from an environmental standpoint, then ecology has to do with the environment, right? So the environment, if I'm going to build this new shopping plaza here, what are the ecological consequences for the watershed in this area? If suddenly there's a huge parking lot where there used to be grassland, you know, so it's an ecological consequence for the environment. But ecology for a human is how does this affect me? If I, if I get suddenly to be rich, what consequences will that have? Will my formerly poor friends that I hung out and drank beer with, will they still like me? Or will there be kind of a rift created? You know, what are the consequences? You know, sometimes people quit smoking, which is good to quit smoking, but there sometimes can be consequences. Maybe they don't have that relationship with their other friendly smokers anymore because they don't hang out with them to smoke. So they lose relationships. So they don't like being alone. So they go back to smoking because they want to be with their friends. So it has to be a values-driven sort of thing like that. That's an example of a values-driven goal. But it also has to be ecological. So you have to be aware of what the positive uh, outcomes, what am I looking for? The positive consequences of this change. Also, what the negative consequences of this change. What will happen if I do? What will happen if I don't? What won't happen if I do? What won't happen if I don't? Good questions to ask. So 
you don't want to blindly accept your client's goals, as Thomas Lennon said with mistake number 19, but you do want to find out what they are and get real clear on what a you know, sensible goal could be for this client. And then once they have that, then your job is to help them get the consequent, the steps going clearly in their mind to do it and that they can do it themselves in an ecological way. Coaching mistake number 20, according to Thomas Leonard, is trying too hard, trying too hard. He says, in your quest to serve, you may too hard to make a difference. You may try too hard to make a difference, you may try too hard to coach properly, you may try too hard to push the client to change or evolve, you may try too hard to keep the client motivated and focused. You know you are trying too hard when you feel tired or frustrated and or if the client is resisting. If the client is fighting you, ask them why and ask them to direct the coaching for a while, for a session at least. So trying too hard is really kind of interesting. Um, one of the first guests I had on this Essential Coaching Skills podcast is a, a mentor of mine, a guy named uh, Stephen Gilligan. Dr. Stephen Gilligan is an Ericksonian hypnotherapist. And he and his uh, partner, Robert Diltz, partner at least in, in coaching, um, have this acronym for the coach state, coach state, C-O-A-C-H. State, according to Gilligan and Diltz, is a state in which you are centered, open, aware, connected, and holding space. Holding space. Sometimes that H can be also hospitable. I've heard it said that way as well. Um, uh, the words I just gave you, centered, open, aware, connected and holding space I got from an article of Stephen Gilligan's from his generativecoaching.com website. And I've also heard him say that H is is being hospitable so that when you're in a coaching state, you are hospitable to whatever comes up. You're welcoming it. So even if it's a problem, even if it's a painful thing, you go like, oh, welcome. Welcome to this place. Let's find out what you're here for. Let's have a conversation, me and this painful part. Let's have a conversation. So the coach state is to be C-centered, O, open, A, aware, C, connected, H, holding space, more hospitable, depending on how you want to look at it. So getting back to trying too hard, how is being in a coach state different from trying too hard? Well, one of the things that I'm aware of is that Gilligan came out of a background of being with Milton Erickson. Milton Erickson, the great hypnotherapist. Um, Erickson often said that every person is as individual as their own thumbprint. I think you've heard me say that already a couple of times, maybe not even just today, but in past podcasts as well. Erickson said that all the time. He said to trust your unconscious. Erickson had a very different viewpoint about what the unconscious mind is all about, different from Freud. You know, Freud was that sort of thing where buried deep in your unconscious are these these motivating factors like you want to do something sexual with somebody, I don't know, Freud, Freudian stuff. 
Erickson was aware that, that your unconscious mind, if you want to call it that, is aware of everything that's ever happened to you. It helps you to walk, helps you to talk. It does all this stuff for you. It's it's a positive thing. It's it's you. It's who you are. You are your unconscious as well as you are your conscious mind. So when you sort of settle down into a coach state, you're going kind of like in a trance, kind of, sort of in a trance. You are being centered. You're getting into a place where you're totally centered, getting to a place where you're totally open. You open your awareness, centered, open, aware, C-O-A. You're feeling the space of being connected, connected with your client in the room with you or on the phone with you or over Zoom with you. You're centered, you're open, you're aware, you're connected, and you're holding space. And you can be hospitable. Both those things can be true. So this coach state is what I attempt to do whenever I'm in a coaching uh, situation with a client. When I'm in a coach state, I'd never try too hard. You know, the mistake number 20 of trying too hard. When I'm in a coach state, I, I am open, I'm centered, I'm aware, I'm, I'm with this person, I'm connected with them, I'm holding space, I'm hospitable to what comes up. And, and I can just be much more observant to what's going on with this client. And help them to, you know, find the resources they need to, to change things, to see things in a different way, to reframe things, et cetera. But it's rare that I will find myself trying too hard from this space. Usually I'm so open to listening to what they're saying and stuff. It's, it's a very nice place to come from. It's a great come from place when you're with a coach in a client circumstance. So those are the first 20 mistakes to avoid in coaching from Thomas Leonard. The first eight were in the first podcast we did with this title a week or so ago. And these are nine through 20. Next time we meet, I think I might do some more of these or I might put it off for a while, but there are 101. So we've got some more to look forward to as time goes on. Thanks you for tuning in this time. And anytime you want to, you can find more information over at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.